Hey, good morning, folks. How are you today? It is good to see you. Back at you, man. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, if you've got your Bibles, please take them and turn with me to Psalm 139. We're going to look at verses 23 and 24 as we get started today. And as you're turning, let me just remind you that today starts 21 days of prayer and fasting. I am so excited about what God is going to do in your life in my life, and in our lives collectively as well. Um, and, and at the end of service, we're going to partake of Holy Communion to kind of consecrate our, our time in uh, 21 days of prayer and fasting. And what I'm going to ask you to do is maybe you've already decided, maybe you've already determined and God sort of told you what he wants you to do uh, during these 21 days of prayer and fasting. But if you haven't, I believe today during our communion time, you can just ask the Lord, reveal to me what you want me to do. You know, we have guides uh, that will help you along the way. I hope you've gotten one of those. If not, get one on the way out. Um, the guides will explain to you what types of fast um, are um, available for you to partake in. As a church, we don't declare a certain fast and ask everyone to do it. What we say is, is here are the different ways that people fasting, that have fasted in Scripture. And uh, you ask the Lord, what does he want you to do during this? I know he's already revealed to me what he wants me to do. So what does he want you to do and to dedicate that and devote that to the Lord? And I believe at the end of these 21 days, as we come together on February 5th, there's going to be just a wonderful sense of his presence in this room as we play, pray for people's needs, for healing, for financial provision, for all of the things that people are in need of on that morning service. And then that evening kicks off this revival nights with Dr. Mark Rutland for the next few nights. And I am just so excited about what God is going to do. So today, I hope that you are celebrating and not just dreading what's coming up. I hope that as you partake in this, every time you feel a sense of hunger or maybe something that you long for that you've given up, I hope that instead of dread, what you will feel is that your very basic functions, the way your life is, the air that you breathe, everything is dependent upon God and everything is a gift from God and you'll become more thankful and appreciative of all God does for you on a daily basis. Today we are going to continue a series we started last week about time for a change. Last week we talked about embracing your blessing, that God's blessings are there for us, but we also have to embrace those. Today is really, really foundational to the core of the transformation God wants to do in your life and in my life. And it's about how to know your soul, the very core of who you are. Because we'll see in just a few minutes as I share with you, one of the mistakes that we make is that we, we try so hard to do so much, we forget the transformation begins inside, internally, and not externally. Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything to me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Let's pray for a moment. Father, thank you for the sense of the presence of your Holy Spirit that's been in this room so far today. Thank you for what you've already done. Thank you for what you're going to do through the word, through our time in communion. And Lord, as we consecrate ourselves through these next three weeks. Every week I ask you this, but I ask you again today, if you'd anoint the words as they go forth, anoint our ears to hear them and our hearts to receive them so that you may transform us and we may become more and more like the people that you have created us to be. And as you do that, Lord, we reserve none of the glory for ourselves. It all belongs to you and we thank you for it in Christ's name. 
Amen and amen. So as a nation, we're a list, we are a people of doers. How many of you like to-do lists? Let me see your hands. Yeah. How many of you like getting done with your to-do list, right? All right. How many of you at the end of the day, if you don't have the to-do list done, you stress out a little bit about what the next day is going to look like, right? Here's the problem is when we accept Christ as Lord and Savior, we bring ourselves into that relationship. It's not just about our baggage. It's about the way that we process life. It's about the way that we think. It's about the way that we feel. It's the way that we approach life in general. We bring that in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And if we're not careful, it becomes foundational in this. What I mean is this. If we are a people who love to do things and we love to make to-do lists, what we'll do is we'll bring that philosophy, that mindset into this relationship with Jesus Christ. And it becomes this idea of what are all the things that I need to do in order to please God? It starts off with really good things. And I'm going to give you some things that nothing are wrong with these things. You need to be doing those things, but they're not a to-do list. So, Read my Bible every day. It's a good thing. It's not a to-do list. Pray every day. It's a good thing. Live according to God's commandments. That's a good thing. Treat people well. That's a good thing. Go to church. That's a good thing. Get involved in a life group or a class. That's a good thing. Serve other people. That's a good thing, but it's not a to-do list. You know, the problem with it is I love lists. I love understanding what's going to make something go and what's, something, what's going to make something not successful. Um, one of the, I have a, a lot of things that I'm not gifted at. One of the things that I am gifted at um, in my time in business and in my time in churches, um, if I know what your data is, if I know what you are um, basing things off of, I can look at a spreadsheet and a report. I can look at different data and I, and I can tell you whether or not you're succeeding in those areas. It, it kind of leaps off the page to me. It's one, of those, it's, it's one of those giftedness that I have. I love that. I'm not gifted in the, in the feeling side of things as well. So to give you an idea, um, in, in May of last year, we went to New York and we went to the uh, Metropolitan Museum of Art. It's beautiful, just absolutely gorgeous. And I'm observing all of these um, art pieces and everything. And then we move into the section that's sort of the modern and it's sort of the abstract um, uh, stuff. And um, I'm... I'm not getting any of it. I mean, I'm, I'm, serious, I'm standing next to people who are amazed at what's going on. I mean, they are looking at these different uh, artwork. They're looking at paintings, and they're going, oh, look at this. Look at the lines. Look at, look at the, 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 the texture. And look at, uh, here's what I see in this. Oh, no, no, this is what I see in this. So I'm fascinated. They leave. I walk over, and I go, I got nothing. I don't see anything. It's like you took a bucket of paint, threw it on a canvas, walked away and said, now pay me some cash. That's all I saw. That that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It's I couldn't process it. I need straight lines. I need paint by numbers. That's who God made me to be. And for the most part, most of us are like that. It's I need to understand something in order that I can succeed in something. But this foundation of following Christ is not about understanding everything God's going to do. 
It's moving into this relationship and allowing him to change you from the inside. It's not about changing all the external things that you want to change. It's about him changing the inside, which results in a different behavior on the outside. Everything on that list I read to you is good, even great, and you should be doing every one of them, but you shouldn't be doing them to make God be pleased with you. God is already pleased with you because of his son, Jesus. And as he changes us, it changes the way we behave. As a matter of fact, there were some people that came to Jesus and said, we want to know what the most important thing, you know, all of the, all of the Old Testament, you know, all of what they had as their Bible at the time. That was the only thing that was written at the time. You know, all of this, what do you think is the most important thing here in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40? He says, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, here's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. This is the greatest commandment. And this is the second, love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets literally hang on these two, he said. The law of the first five books of the Old Testament. The prophets is how they sum, summarized the rest of the Old Testament. So all of the scripture that's available to you at that moment in time, everything hinges on these. So here's what he's saying. Of all of the rules, all of the regulations, all of the commandments in the Old Testament, Jesus said, if you get them all right and you miss these two, you've got it all wrong. Because it's about this loving relationship with him that derives all of the right behavior that is going to happen in us. You see, my friend, we, we believe and our goal is to help people live a Christ-centered life. But can I just tell you something? Give you this. A Christ-centered life is about character change. Understand that. It's about character change being remade from the inside out. That's what the Christ-centered life is about. According to Jesus, life in Christ is something that happens in your mind, in your soul, and in your body, the way you feel and the way you think and the way you act. So what that means is this. How you react on a random Thursday to your family or your annoying coworker is just as important with how many times you've read your Bible and prayed that week. It's about something internal. But we can't appreciate that because in an age that is more concerned about progress and speed and promotion, we struggle to value what we cannot measure. Because according to culture, culture has made it so that bank accounts and square footage and body mass index tend to inspire us much more than character development and spiritual formation. Something we can see and measure and focus on. And when that becomes the case, loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbor as ourself can seem somewhat far-fetched and idealistic. And so we will settle. And we settle and believe that our best hope is to be a better version of the person we've always been. But that's not what Jesus has called us to do. That's not what the Bible says. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. While you are alive on this earth, no matter how hard you try, you will never be sinless. But if you draw close to him, you will sin less every single week, 
month, year of your life. Because it's a progress that he takes you through. It's a change that takes place on the inside. You're never going to be more completely like Jesus in, in this life. But you can become more and more like him every single day. The ability to do that means you can literally love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But in doing so, you've got to be willing to give him all of those things. C.S. Lewis once said, for mere improvement is not redemption, though redemption always improves people. God became man to turn creatures into sons, not simply to make a better person of the old kind, but to produce a new kind of person. It's not like teaching a horse to jump higher and higher and better and better. It's like transforming a horse into a winged creature. He wants to transform you into something different so that you can then accomplish the things he's called you to do. But if you want to be more and more like Jesus, you've got to understand who you are and how God made you. Let me give you an example of this. Um, This has been probably 18 years ago. I told you last week that in my 20s and early 30s that I literally struggled all the time to try to prove myself. Probably came from a place of great insecurity. Um, Whatever that reason was, I didn't have a counselor then. Nobody pointed that out, okay? But I wanted to prove myself. I wanted to prove that I I could do something. I wanted to prove to myself that I was good. I wanted to prove to others that I was better. I just wanted to prove myself over and over and over again. And I used that in the... Uh, when I was in the business world, and I carried that over for a while into ministry. And the whole time, I would make excuses and say, yes, but I'm trying to get better and better so that God can use me more and more. You know, we're really good about that, aren't we? We can really take our desires and wrap scripture around it and make them sound really spiritual, right? And I was wearing myself out. I literally was getting to the point where I would make a list of things that I needed to do. If I was going to grow, I needed to be better at doing some things. So I would say, this is how many chapters I'm going to read a day of the Bible. There's nothing wrong with that. But I would go, this is how long I want to pray every day. I'm going to spend this much time in prayer. I got to the place where I put a little uh, timer there. I would start the timer and would count it down how long I was spending with God. And if my mind drifted, I would go, oh wrong with me start the timer over literally wearing myself out and I was praying and reading and I came across a book by Brennan Manning called Ragamuffin Gospel and in that he shared a story that just leapt off the pages and he used an example he said if you are a father or a mother And you're sitting in your favorite easy chair. And your small child wanders over to you and reaches up and asks you to pick them up and put you in their lap. And they stare into your eyes and they talk to you. Does it ever bother you if they're in your lap? That their attention may drift off for a moment and see a bird fly by out the window or see a dog run by? Or do you just care that they're in your lap? And it hit me. I've been trying to make myself more palatable and pleasing to God when if I just crawl up into his lap and spend time with him and understand the love that he has for me, all of that other stuff begins to take care of itself. It was liberating. 
life-changing for me because literally I was living the life of a hypocrite. I was preaching grace and living like a legalist. But then God began to free me. But those things that I had, those desires deep down, they were affecting my soul. And I didn't know who I really was. I didn't know deep down why I was doing what I was doing, which is the core of who you are. This is what I want you to know. Your soul is the part of you that connects all the other parts of you. It's the sum of your desires, your beliefs, your emotions, and your thoughts. What I mean by that is this. A desire is what you want most. A belief is what you believe about life. Emotions are how you feel about life in your current circumstances. Your thoughts are how you think about life, and your actions are what you do. Now, why is that important? Because it works to get, they work in, in, in a synergistic way. What you want most determines what you believe is true in life, which then determines how you feel and how you think about life, which then determines how you act. If all we do is try to work on our actions, we're never going to keep coming, we're going to keep coming back to those same habits, those same cycles that we tend to uh, to come back to and that wear us out and we think we're never going to get victory in our lives because we've never given over the core of that and that's what is the desire that is driving me. The Greek word commonly used for desire in scripture literally means to over-desire something. That means to want it too badly. So it's not that you want bad things, it's that you want things too badly. Knowing that puts a new depth to what sin is because we think of sin as an immoral action and sin is an immoral action but it's so much deeper than that. It's why Jesus equated anger and murder as the same. Jesus said, whether you're angry, don't be angry because in your heart, you will might as well, you have committed murder. What he was saying is this, the physical results may not be the same, but the result on your soul is gonna be the same. It's your soul that matters, that he wants to change and transform. Listen, in scripture, There's an example, one of Jesus' disciples in one of his closest circles, Simon Peter. Simon Peter was handpicked by Jesus. Jesus saw greatness in him. As a matter of fact, Jesus told him, you're gonna be a leader one day. And Simon Peter had a desire. It's a desire in his life. His desire was to be great. I wanna be great. I wanna be significant. I wanna do something great. And when he met Jesus, then it transformed to, I want to be great in the kingdom. Notice, there's a difference between wanting to be great in the kingdom and wanting the kingdom to be great. His desire, I've always wanted to be great. Now I'll be great in the kingdom and this will bring God glory. And Jesus had to constantly talk to him and the other disciples. He had to constantly put, Peter was always the one who would be the first to speak. He'd be the first to jump. He'd be the first to react. He'd be the first in everything. And sometimes it was great. I mean, they're standing, um, they're standing um, in Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus said, who do people say that I am? And they're saying, oh, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And Simon Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And he says, blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood hasn't revealed this, but my father in heaven revealed this to you. Just a few verses later, he tells them, Jesus tells them, I'm gonna be crucified, handed over to the authorities and crucified 
On the third day, I'll rise again. And Peter says, we will never let that happen to you. And Jesus has to say, get behind me, Satan. I want to be out front. I want to be great. He's always arguing with the other guys. Who's going to be greatest in the kingdom? And so on the night before Jesus is crucified, he brings his disciples together. He brings them together to observe the Passover meal, which Jesus then institutes communion, the Lord's Supper, what we will celebrate this morning. Now, contrary to popular belief and artwork, um, Da Vinci was wrong. It wasn't in this long table where everyone was around. It was in a U-shaped table. So if, you were, if they were sitting here, the U would start here. This table would start here, would come to here. It would then go to here and come this way. The way it worked was you would send someone to prepare everything. And it was usually two of your most important people. And so Jesus sent Peter and John to go prepare things. So when he prepares things, Jesus is the guest of honor. And so the guest of honor sat in the second seat on this side, would sit in the second seat. And the guest of honor got to choose who the two most important people were. They were going to sit on his right hand and on his left hand. And so he chooses one of the people who have come and gotten everything ready. And that's John on his right hand. And so Peter is probably thinking, all right, left seat, here I come. But he doesn't. He starts naming places. As he names the places, he finally gets to the final seat on the other side of the table. It is the seat of least importance and the seat of the servant. Which means if you could not afford a servant, it was that person's responsibility to do the work of the servant. And when the guest arrived, the work of the servant would have been to anoint their head with oil, to refresh them, provide a pan of water so that they could wash their own feet and refresh themselves before dinner. He's put in the seat of the servant. He refuses because he's meant for greatness. So Jesus gets up, picks up a towel and a basin of water and goes around and he washes everyone's feet. And when he gets to Simon Peter, who's probably feeling a lot of conviction right now, Simon Peter says, oh, no, no, no. This ain't the way this works. You'll never wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you can't be a part of me. So Simon Peter says, well, they've washed everybody else's. What am I going to do better? Hey, pour it all on me, he says. Let's get all of me clean. And Jesus says, that's, that's not what this is about. And then Jesus shares words with him. In Luke chapter 22, he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. Notice what he says. So when you have repented, you know what that's a prediction of, right? You're going to make a mistake. You're going to make a failure here. And you turn to me again, strengthen your brothers. You know what he's saying there? I know what's going to happen with you. I know what's going to happen to you. I still see greatness in you, but you've still got so much to learn. Verse 33, Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you, even to die with you. And Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. In front of all of the people that he claimed 
that he would be braver and stronger and more faithful. Peter fails miserably and denies Jesus three times that, morning, that night and goes away, the Bible says, and weeps bitterly. What Peter didn't know was he kept trying to focus on his actions when Jesus was trying to get to the core of his soul. Peter, why do you want to be great? Why is it that you desire the things that you desire? Because if you can let God expose that to you, he can then transform that in you. But if you refuse to expose that to him, you'll continually keep going back to that desire and trying to wrap God's word around it and go through the same vicious cycles and the same habits in your life. Knowing your soul is the ability to identify and name your emotions so you can stop unhealthy habits and cycles that happen by default. You have a default. I have a default. Which means it's what we fall back on that just comes naturally in our lives. And whatever that is, what God is trying to do is to transform that. Jesus, after he rises from the dead, Simon Peter's almost called it quits. He's gone back to fishing. Some others are with him. He's done. I, I failed him. I can't do any more than this. And Jesus appears on the shore, calls them in, and has this beautiful moment with Simon Peter. And he doesn't ask Simon, what did you do? He doesn't ask him, is he sorry? How are you going to make it up for me? He doesn't ask any of that. He asks him one question three times. Do you love me? Peter said, yes, I love you. Jesus said, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Simon, do you love me? The Bible says that Simon Peter is hurt that he's asked him three times. He says, you know all things. You know I love you. Jesus wasn't trying to put him on a guilt trip. He was trying to get him to understand that at the heart of all of this is the relationship that God wants to build in each of us. Deep down, so that our behavior changes only after that. Because if we keep trying to change behavior, all we're doing is just taking futile attempts to become a better version of the person we've always been when Christ is wanting to change the very nature of who you are. Then in John chapter 21, Jesus tells Simon Peter, I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself. You went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands. Others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. And then Jesus told him, follow me. Simon is still fighting the battle. Notice what it says. So Peter turned around, saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved, the one who had leaned over to Jesus during supper and asked, Lord, who will betray him? He's talking about the one seated right next to him, John. And Peter asked Jesus, after Jesus tells him all of this, 
predicting how his life is going to bring glory to him, Peter says, what about him, Lord? What's your plan for him? And Jesus replied, look, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Follow me. Accept the love and the grace that I've given you. Accept the plan and the purpose I have for your life and know that if I can fulfill that in your life, you will accomplish great things for me. How do you do that? How do I do that? How do we expose our souls to the Lord and say, all the things that I've been trying to mask and hide and put spiritual language to that are causing me to go in unhealthy habits. How do I do that? Psalm 139 verses one through three says, a recognition, oh Lord, you've examined my heart. You know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know when my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. And at the end of that passage, he says, search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Eventually, Peter will get this. Eventually, he'll apply it to his life. He'll become a leader in the church. He will be arrested for preaching about Jesus They will tell Peter that you can live if you denounce Jesus as Lord. And he says, I refuse to ever denounce him again. And they said, then you'll die the same death that he died by crucifixion. And Peter's response was, if you're going to crucify me, crucify me upside down because I'm not worthy to be crucified in the manner of my Lord. His character has changed, and now he wants nothing more than for people to see Jesus in his life. He's gone from, I want to be great, to I want to proclaim his greatness. You see, character change is when your default emotions and your cycles look more and more like Jesus. Here's what Romans 12 and 2 says. Do not conform yourselves to the standards of this world, but let God transform you inwardly by a complete change of your mind. Then you'll be able to know the will of God, what is good and pleasing to him and perfect. A few years ago, I, not long after I read that book I told you about, I went on a retreat for pastors um, and on that retreat, you weren't, we weren't allowed to, we turned our cell phones in, no, no TV, no anything. And um, the only thing we could do with the, the activities that they um, let, let us do that would allow us to spend some time just contemplating God, his goodness and Bible study and prayer, and then we would get in sessions. But one of the things you could pick is you could pick some, one of the activities they could do. And so I picked, for some reason, um, I picked, there was this little place, a little activity that you could make your own pen. Okay, so, so here's, here's the good thing. I made this, okay? Still have it, still writes. I made it. 
it was supposed to be a very, very relaxing process where you contemplate the goodness of God and how God's created things and made you and formed you and shaped you. That's what it was supposed to be about. But see, I'm not good at this stuff. And so this peaceful exercise was so filled with so much anxiety for me. Now, I wasn't even doing it on my own. There was an instructor right there just to make sure I didn't mess it up. I mean, he set, he set the thing in place, the, the, the pieces of wood. He put on the wood lathe. He determined the speed of the wood lathe. He gave me the tools that I was to use. He told me when I was putting too much pressure on, when I needed to give a little more pressure. He did all of it, like right there with me the whole time. His hand was probably guiding my hand. Like, he did everything. But I was so anxious. I was like, this is not peaceful at all. Because all I could think about was not relaxing. All I could think about was, don't mess the pen up. Because then I'm going to have this deformed pen that nobody's going to want to see, you know? So my brain was focused on, just don't make any mistakes. I never enjoyed the process. A few years later, I was approached by a friend of mine who was pursuing his postgraduate degrees and needed to raise some funds. And he said, hey, listen, I've bought some stuff and I'm making some pens to sell. Would you like a pen? And I thought, you have no idea what you're getting yourself into. But I paid an exorbitant amount of money for a pen just to support him. It's this pen. They're a little different design, but one doesn't look any better than the other. But over time, he began to make pens. It became a form of solitude. It became a form of something where it was peaceful. He didn't think about the instructions. He knew just by doing it. He could probably close his eyes and put the tool to it as the wood lathe was spinning and know what it needed to feel like. Because he became so comfortable in it, it became second nature. And this was peaceful for him. This was stressful for me. On the outside, they looked the same. But on the inside of us, it was two completely different things. When you spend your life trying to keep doing things to please God, you wind up stressed, full of anxiety, frustrated, and your only thought is, how can I make it through this day without making a mistake? But when grace, not an excuse to sin, Grace that covers all my past. Grace that empowers me in the present. Grace that sustains me and keeps me for the future. When I embrace grace in my life, then I'm not worried about the behaviors. The behaviors take care of themselves because I draw closer and closer to him and want to please him more and more. And your relationships a relationship, whether it's a marriage or whether it's a friendship, 
You don't start those relationships out with a list of things to do, do you? No, your goal is to know each other more and more so that you can do the things to please each other. Once you begin to sense God's grace deep down within you, you stop feeling like you have to and you want to. The truth is, there's nothing you can do to please God. His pleasure in you is because of what his son has done. But once you believe that, once you know that, you will do anything, anything for God. Psalm 37.4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That phrase, delight yourself in the Lord, means to literally know him more and more and more and more and more so that your desires are transformed and now they reflect his desires. And he gives you, pours out the desires of your heart because he's changed your heart to reflect his heart. As you enter into 21 days of prayer and fasting, stop wearing yourself out trying to do things to make God happy with you. God's joy is that you've accepted the grace of Jesus Christ in your life. God's joy is for you to draw close to him so that he can change you internally and those behaviors begin to change on their own. You don't set your watch in the morning to read the scripture. You're naturally drawn to it because it draws you close to him. You don't set a timer on how much time to spend in prayer. You naturally want to spend as much time as you possibly can with the one who saved you and redeemed you and bought you and brought you out and has empowered you and is giving you life forever. But it'll never happen until you give God the very desires that you have right now and let him transform them. And maybe you've never articulated it. Maybe you've got those same habits and those same cycles that you keep coming back to. You've never articulated. During these 21 days of prayer and fasting, what I want you to do is say, God, search my heart, reveal my desires so that I can give those to you and you can transform them. And I believe these next three weeks can be the most transformative three weeks of your life if you'll allow God to get to the very depth and core of who you are and change you foundationally. Will you bow your heads, close your eyes this morning? For some of you, the first change that has to take place is to accept the love he's already poured out through Christ. Some of you probably know when you came in here this morning and you started watching online, things aren't right between you and the Lord. If that's you, I want you to just simply pray something like this by faith. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the sacrifice you made. I thank you for the very knowledge that you're the son of God, you're the king of kings, you're the Lord of lords. And so I ask you to forgive me of my sins, but I yield my life to you now. 
And I don't yield my life and subject my life to you out of fear. I do it out of love. Love that I return to you because of the love you first gave me. And I ask you in this moment to change me completely so that I'll never be the same. I want everyone in the room just to pray this little prayer of profession and say, Jesus, I give you my life. One more time. Jesus, I give you my life. Now, he heads bowed, still clo- eyes still closed. If that's you, you know when you came in here, things aren't right between you and the Lord. She's saying, I'm making a decision to follow him for the first time or the first time in a long time today. I'm not here to embarrass you or call you out. I want to pray for you this week. But if that's you, be brave right now. Just raise your hand really high and say, Pastor, that's me. Pray for me this week. Keep them up just a moment. Thank you. Just a moment. Thank you. Amen. All right. You can put them down. Heavenly Father, I thank you right now for lives that have been transformed and changed by the power of the good news of the love that Jesus Christ has given and shown to us and the sacrifice that he's made. I pray now that you would seal those things, seal in their hearts the things that you have changed and transformed now. I pray that they realize they don't belong to this world or the enemy anymore. They belong to you. They are daughters and sons of the king, and they've been changed. I thank you for hope that is being renewed in their hearts and joy that is now filling their souls. And God, in these next few moments, as we together observe Holy Communion to consecrate ourselves to you during these 21 days of prayer and fasting, reveal to us the things you want us to fast and also help us understand the deepest desires of our hearts and we can give those over to you so that you can begin that transformative work in us. And by faith, we give you praise for that in Christ's name. Amen and amen. You should have received some elements when you came in this morning. I'd like for you to take those. If you're here and you did not receive any elements, um, our, we've got hosts here. If you'll just raise your hand, you need some uh, communion elements, they'll get those to you. We've got plenty of time. But as they come to you, once you get them and those that are in the room, go ahead and take your elements and prepare them by um, uh, taking off the clear seal off the top and that will reveal the wafer. And um, afterwards, I'll ask you to um, uh, go ahead and take the seal off underneath that, which will reveal the juice. Um, Two things, I'd like for everyone to hold them until everyone's ready and we'll all partake together. Also, if there's someone sitting next to you, they're having trouble opening it, it's a great time to serve your neighbor right now and help them out so we can all enjoy together. In these next few moments, as we prepare the elements and prepare our hearts, as we're led in this song, I'm gonna ask you to say, God, reveal in me what you wanna change over these next 21 days. And when we take communion together, I want you to give that to him in Christ's name. Lord, I need you, oh,
I'm gonna ask you to stand with me, please. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 26, Paul writes that on the same night that the Lord was betrayed, he took bread, and after he blessed it, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. Would you remember the body of Christ? In the same manner, he took the cup and said, this cup is my blood in the new covenant. Take and drink as often as you do in remembrance of me. Would you remember the blood of Christ? For as often as you eat the bread, you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, in these next few days, as we consecrate ourselves to you, May your spirit awaken in us a freshness, a newness in the deepest recesses of who we are. Touch our desires to be more and more like you. Lord, do a transformative work in each of us. I pray for some that there would be a, that this would be a, a moment of deliverance. I ask for you to break those things that bind us. Break addiction in the name of Jesus. Mend wounds from the past, hurtful comments that people have spoken over us and in their place, let the word of God speak life into them in the name of Jesus. Let broken bodies be healed in Christ's name. Let broken relationships be restored in Christ's name. I pray that in a place where some people are in financial distress, I pray that the provision from the one who owns the cattle of a thousand hills be poured out to them in Jesus' name. I pray for those that have been living with anxiety and depression to find peace and joy in the name of Jesus. And for those who feel like that they are at their wits end, I pray that hope come rushing into their lives in a fresh and a new way. I ask these things by faith. I also give you praise in advance by faith for what you're gonna do. And Lord, we sing together in these moments an anthem, a prayer, a proclamation of faith as we ask you to teach our hearts. Teach us to sing a new song, to sing a new praise as you transform each of us in Jesus' name. We sing. So teach my song to rise to you. Temptation comes by. 
I pray that over these next three weeks that God does something so remarkable in your life. And listen, when you leave this place, whatever you've committed to the Lord, don't, don't, don't leave this place and kind of go with dread. Oh, the fast is starting. <laughs> Ask the Lord to bring spiritual meaning. Every time you have a hunger pain or a craving for something that you've given up, remember, God is the source of everything you need. The very air that you breathe, the very life that you have belongs to him. And every time you feel that, offer a prayer of praise and gratitude for all that he's done for you. And watch what God will do. Hey, will you celebrate with me today? Eight people gave their hearts to Jesus Christ today. Amen. Come on. We are so proud of you, but as proud as we are, the Bible says there's a party going on in heaven because of you. And listen, if you've made that decision today over the last few weeks, we'd love to help you get started on your journey with Jesus. Um, and when the service is over, there's some members of our grow team. They'll be right down here. Um, if you made that decision, you can come down, take two minutes of your time. Also, if you just want to know some more about Mount Prairie North, how to get plugged in, we'd love to talk with you about that as well. We'll be here for a few minutes and would love that. Literally two minutes of your time. On your way out today, don't forget the devotional guides for 21 days of prayer and fasting. They'll be available electronic form on the app and the website, but grab a paper copy if you'd like on the way out. And um, I'll be praying for you as you begin this week. Know you're in my prayer this week. Love you very, very much. Let me bless you today. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Let's give our response. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. God bless you folks. Love you. Have a great day.